Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to carry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Thank you, Simone. Very kind of you to read out such a part of God's word. And you're all sitting here thinking, what? Did she really read that out? Yes. Is that really in the Bible? Yes. What does it mean? Well, we'll get to that in a moment, won't we? Uh, We're doing a short series called Attitudes That Build Communion. Uh, It was helpful that Heather shared about the 2020 vision because part of that is uh, as expressed in our mission and vision statement. It's about our attitude. And uh, whatever you're going through, whatever you said in the last week, last month, don't worry. I thought of this series some six months ago. So it's not, it wasn't designed last week to respond to anything you may have thought about or done. So we think ahead in these things. And there was an article I read that actually touched on three and I thought that'd be great to reflect on that. There's about another 12 I'd like to bring before us over the coming years as well. But attitudes that build community. I personally love that photo. And the older ones here might understand why because uh, I can remember that we had blocks like that when I was a little kid. Or maybe you weren't born then. Um, and I remember what it was like to play nicely with others, especially brothers, and especially getting words from parents. Ian, play nicely with your brother or the older brothers. Let share your toys. Ever had to say that to any of your children or your children perfect? Well, your children are perfect. Okay, I get that. Okay. Um, and it all starts, attitudes in kids' lives start very, very early on. Do you understand that, accept that? They do. And by the time they're sort of in infant school and kindergarten, some of their attitudes are starting to get well and truly formed. They are. And then they get into high school years. We probably, deep down, we should skip those years because who knows what goes on in that time. Uh, but by the time they get to the adults, they turn into people like... You and me. In some cases, our attitudes are very well advanced and some of the attitudes we have may be incredibly helpful but actually may also be inappropriate. So this series, this short series, will touch on some attitudes uh, in regards to the Christian life because that's what we're talking about. That's what Paul has written about. Uh, Three in particular we'll look at. Be faithful, be supportive and be patient. Uh, And if you've got all that under your belt, fantastic, then can you encourage others how to be more patient or how to be faithful in what they do and how they live. Uh, and again, this is really more than just you know, singing, you know, don't worry, be happy, and putting on a smiley face. Yeah, it's okay. No, it's more than that. It's about a godly attitude. It's about how we function. It's about how our attitude is toward God, towards each other. 
uh, and that is crucial. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we stop and think about who you are and how your spirit is doing an ongoing work in our lives, may it be that again in all that we do and say, in particular our attitude, may it be that we honour and glorify you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We all know people who have a bad attitude. Yes? All right. I know people who have a bad attitude. In the Bible, you find also people who have a bad attitude. Uh, John wrote a letter and he came across and he said this in 3 John 1. He's writing, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. That's great. I wrote to the church, but Diophanes, who loves to be first, who loves to be first, that's probably problematic, who loves to be first, uh, will not welcome us. So when I come, I'll call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, you mean he's even worse. He even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. He might have an attitude problem. There might be some things happening in his life that might be problematic. There might be things in our life. So a godly attitude doesn't come from just smiling harder, no matter what's going on. Our attitude is a reflection of our decision all those years ago to follow God, to follow what Christ and the transformation is happening. I do like one of the leaders who wrote, John Maxwell. He said this, We choose what attitudes we have right now, and it's a continuing choice. It's a continuing choice. Every day, every week, every time you get up, every time you go to bed, you're thinking about what's going on around you, within you, and you keep making decisions about the attitude you have as you live this life. Uh, and the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Colossian church, is very aware of that. And it's encouraging people to think about who they are. And so he says this uh, as we get there, because this is about being faithful in the family context as he writes in Colossians and not just with family which you might remember where Simone read out very interesting description of family and how we're to act but he says this early on in Colossians 3.12 therefore as God's chosen people that's a, so therefore as God's chosen people you are God's chosen people by the way holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility gentleness and patience Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Personally, I like Colossians. It's one of those parts of God's word that's like a go-to part of God's word to keep reading over it, keep reading over it, keep testing how I'm going, keep testing my attitude to things. It's really, I find that really helpful. And so as you go through this short, uh, short series, let me give you a couple of little tips too, pastoral tips don't allow your spirit to become critical in your family or to others. I think it's harder for the Spirit of God to work in your life and work through that. It becomes like a barrier. Don't allow your heart to become hardened uh, when it comes to others. It's problematic. It doesn't mean there's issues we have to work through. And finally, don't think about others hearing the sermon. Don't just sort of sit there and think, oh, just, oh, that really, I wish such and such was here to hear that. Sometimes we do that in church life, don't we? Yeah. Uh, until it's changed you. Because it's actually it's about my attitude, isn't it? It's about what God is doing in my life. It's about how I express that. 
And that's one of the key things here. So uh, keep that in mind. And again, keep in mind that, as Paul says in 3, 7, and later on at the end of chapter 3, and whatever you do, whatever you do, however you speak, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. Whatever you do, however you function, however you engage, however you love, however you live, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so uh, with all that going on, Paul then writes what he's called household instructions, the most appropriate back then, most appropriate for us to reflect on today because it's actually really helpful to understand, to keep growing in how we relate to each other and how we live together in our homes. So what does he say? He says this, and please just uh, slow down as you hear it being said, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Often we forget those last few words. Husbands... Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Um, you might be thinking, how come Paul didn't have a word to mothers? The context uh, of what is being said and the context of the culture back then most, it makes it most appropriate uh, to speak in that way. And so faith... And being faithful and having an attitude of faithfulness changes everything, changes our relationships with each other, changes how we function, how we speak. A new life in Christ, and that's what we are, that's the whole, we're ambassadors, this new life we have, new clothes, which Paul uh, has spoken about. We actually can address things and speak in a certain way, how we treat each other, uh, how we respond, the attitudes that we have, the heart attitudes. And of course, when you think about your attitude, it always begins with the family, with your family, my family, uh, in Christian homes, in non-Christian homes, how you grow up, the influence of your mums, your dads, your brothers. And let's also throw in that word, and I accept, as you accept, that family life is very complex. Family life is incredibly complex. Family life is so complex, I'm surprised any of us survive it. Uh, Rhonda and I, uh, yesterday, I travelled on the XPT on Friday from Central to Bathurst. A wonderful trip if you haven't done it. A plug for the train system. We had a family reunion, Barnett family reunion, extended. People came from Tasmania, Adelaide, Queensland. Uh, we finished that up yesterday afternoon and we driving home. Rhonda came up in the car with some other people. We drove home, we stopped at a little uh, cemetery called Yet Home. St Paul's Anglican Church Yet Home, that's where my father and a number of Barnets are buried, this little place uh, just in the outskirts, on the outskirts of Bathurst. And so we're there, standing in front of the father's uh, uh, graveside, died in 95, next to him is his twin brother, and next to him is their father, a number of Barnets in that little cemetery. And while we are there, our, our, my cousin, so my father's a twin, and so his uh, twin was Clive. He, he, Clive's, my, my cousin Pam came along with her husband. And so we said hi, and, uh, and, and then she was standing in front of her father's uh, graveside, and she, you could see something was happening in her, and she stepped back, walked down to Rhonda myself, and she said, I, I came here today. Her dad died when he was, in 1974. She was 16, had a big influence on her life. And she just simply said, I came here to shed tears over the loss of my father. And then she just burst into tears, just burst into tears and just grabbed me and hugged me, just bawling her eyes out. And then she said, actually, 
I'm crying because when my brother got married, I didn't gain a sister-in-law, I lost my brother. Full stop. And just cried. And it's just like, oh. So no matter, we're standing in the cemetery Saturday afternoon, but it wouldn't matter how many gravesides are there and what she came for. Something that happened nearly three decades ago, three decades, just like that. My point is, family life is complex. You know it and I know it. Uh, and that's just an example. And so how we speak to each other, the attitude we have, the things that we don't say, uh, I think others know what's going on often inside. Uh, most of what he's said here is tied around how we engage. And remember days gone by, you used to have meals on a Sunday? Maybe you still have a meal on a Sunday. My mum used to actually cook a baked dinner every Sunday and so we'd sit with my brother, we just did Yorkshire puddings, gravy. <gasps> now I think of those things. Oh, who feels like a baked dinner right now? Yeah, gravy. Could, could someone go out to Chico's and get some gravy or something? Wouldn't be the same. But we'd sit around the table and, you know, imagine a day when there's no iPhone or iPads. Hard to imagine, isn't it? Imagine you sat around a table. Wow. And you spoke to each other. Isn't that bizarre? But imagine the attitudes that were being shaped as you spoke and all this stuff's being unrehearsed because often when you're around a table you just, you just blurt stuff out for better or worse. But it's in that blurtingness you get to listen. You get to think, oh, I maybe need to go and speak to my dad or my mum or my brothers or my kids later about that particular attitude to her brother or sister or life or a neighbour or work colleague. It all happens around the dinner table. For those who uh, may have forgotten that date, I encourage you to get back into the space. It's good because when you think about your relationship with each other, this is what's happening. And some writers would say, of course, the breakdown of family life is also a reflection of a breakdown in culture. I'm inclined to believe that myself. And so Paul He's aware of all this, aware of what goes on in our life and so he writes directly. Wives, and it's not a female word, it's not about gender. Paul's writing all about discipleship. How we who claim and wear the name of Jesus are called to live our lives and the attitudes we are to have in that space. Uh, so understand that. And I also understand everyone must submit to someone. I'm licensed to the Archbishop. I submit to his authority. You think of Jesus. Jesus submits to the Father's authority. Doesn't in any way mean that Jesus is not equal with the Father or the Spirit. It doesn't mean that humanly I'm not equal with Glenn, our Archbishop, as a person. He's a different role that I have. And so to submit to someone does not mean you are not equal. Submission in this does not mean inequality. I think our culture has its own view about what that means, but that's not the biblical view. And it's also, it's a totally voluntary action. You do it, you submit to someone for the betterment of them or the situation. So that's what Paul is saying here in regards to wives. Your attitude should be for the other person, for your husband in this context. Because, you know, to support, to encourage. You know, our roof is held up by these great walls. Do you all agree with that? If the walls weren't there, what would happen? Yeah, the roof would fall down. It's pretty straightforward. It's not, it's not too complex. If there's no order in the family home, more than likely there's chaos. But that just, just is. 
And if you have no order in your family home, my guess is you know what I'm talking about. It's chaos. So some order and structure is helpful. Um, Submission can't be demanded. Husbands should not be saying, I demand you to submit. If any man says that in a marriage relationship, you have failed before the words have come out of your mouth. Nothing that you say after that will matter, in my view. You can't demand, you, the Bible says, Rhonda, you should... What does it, Ian? Thank you for pointing it out to me. That's really helpful. Guess, the, guess what? The very first thing that I'm going not to do. Because you're demanding it. No, we don't do that. Submission cannot be demanded. As is fitting in the Lord. As the wife submits to the husband, he loves. And both actions, we'll get to them in a moment, must bear witness to our Lord. In the submission, encouraging, supporting, respect, all those things are there. And clearly that is absolutely impossible for a woman to do if her husband is abusive. I'll talk about that in a moment in terms of an uncritical situation. Especially where one partner, in this case uh, the wife, is prohibited in growing and being strengthened. So men, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, Honour, value, respect, guard their hearts, delight in the wife of your youth value who she is hold on to that cherish that treasure that express it somehow and I would often fail in that but express it so they know of your love for them it's not talking about sexual intimacy he's not talking about making love guard all those things protect the harshness belongs to the old nature go back and look at Colossians Say verses chapter three verses five to nine. The old nature was harsh. The old nature was na- uh, nature was anger, full of bitterness and rage. You've let that go. You've let that go as you follow Christ, as that's working in your life. And don't be harsh. Those words. Don't be caustic, bitter, sarcastic to your wife. It doesn't help. Resentful, uh, embitter. All those things of a broken life and now following Christ is being built and modelled and uh, mended. My observation is that men can say things in a way that uh, are incredible, incredibly hurtful to their wives, let alone their daughters. We'll get to that in a moment, let alone their daughters. Because you know, men, that as your daughters watch you live your life with their mother, they're making internal decisions about which man they intend to spend the rest of their life with. You blokes get that? No? Are you shocked? You mean, in me being rude to my wife, they might marry a bloke, a total wally, who's going to be rude to my daughter? Put your hand up, which bloke here wants their daughter to marry some wally? Let me quickly look. Oh, no one. Oh, so you actually men out there want your daughters to marry men who respect, care, love, honour. Is that right? Is that right? No? Yes? Some men say something. Shane, say yes, that'll do me. Greg? So guess who they're going to watch for that to happen? Oh, who'd have thought? You. That's right. Um, so be careful in that. Attitude. You know, put off traits of 
criticism. That's the old life. As I said, it's impossible where a marriage is abusive. You know, it's, uh, should a Christian wife continue to submit uncritically, uncritically, a Christian wife, uh, when they're being physically or emotionally abused? I think not. And if you're in a situation that's, ha- that's happening, more than likely, your friends know it to be true. They know it because you've more than likely spoken to them about it. So therefore, uh, I would encourage the friends of those in that situation to do something, to speak, to share, to be open, to be honest. Don't leave your friend in that situation. Often when you're in that situation, it's very hard to get out of that situation. Should the measure of a husband's love for his wife be whether his attitude to her sees her devotion to Christ grow? and be strengthened. I think so. I know so. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Amen. We should say amen for that, yep. Your parents are sitting here, that's right, just do as you're told, don't argue. We'll sort out later on. Um, obey your parents, it does please the Lord. Yeah, look, the theme of authority is there. Uh, it's pleasing to God, peace in the home. Who likes peace in the home? <laughs> Who longs for more division in the home? You know, and so you have to be aware of that. Disobedient children are a cause for rife and problems in the household. It's difficult. I've already said life is complex. And again, the children's relationship with mum and dad is centred on a relationship that they have with the Lord because you want the best for your kids. I'm not talking about whether they listen and sit and let you read five chapters of Leviticus over dinner and don't want them to move. I think that might be problematic. I think if I was there thinking, oh, would you, Dad, would you hurry up and move on? Simpson's about to start. No, I'm only joking. But that's problematic. Don't do that. And so, you know, we aim to, to teach, to train, to encourage, to be in that space, to help model an attitude that is faithful to our kids because they see that. Uh, and again, it's in your family to obey the children's instrument because when they leave your home, they'll be in all sorts of situations. They have to get that. And as for fathers, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. That is so true. So true. Embitter means stir up, annoy, arouse, irritate. Are there any dads here good at irritating their children? Stop it, Shane, stop it. Greg, I can pick on staff. I can't pick on you guys. It doesn't, it doesn't help. Don't, don't do it. Attitude is so important. Uh, Christian fathers, you know, if you're overly harsh and, you know, talking to our family members uh, yesterday from days gone by, you know, 1800s, 1900s, it was a different world. Just, you know, farming communities, people lived on, in the bush and they had nothing. And life was tough. And you didn't speak back to your parents. If you did, there was a consequence, make no mistake about that. But don't be harsh. Demonstrate to them how love and understanding and an attitude is helpful. Uh, don't, don't be a constant source of irritation because that will soon make them restless and dissatisfied and then that how will they ever follow the Lord that you want them to? Um, you know, don't do that. And don't, can I say, my grandfather, as you know, don't overindulge your kids for Pete's sake. Don't do that. 
don't give them everything they want. Because you know what they say, you know, but Dad, everyone's got the new iPhone 45. You know, if I don't have that, you know how it's going to feel for me at school? It's going to be so embarrassing. I'll just be out of the loop. You don't want that, do you? Yes, I do. I'll teach you some good discipline. They'll say anything to get what they want, won't they? Yes, just like you said anything to get what you want. I used to use that at my parents all the time. You let Malcolm get away with it, why can't I? So it comes with the sinful nature of a child, but don't, don't, don't give them. You know, and I, you know, as a parent, as Rhonda and I, we kept a lot of stuff. You know, we kept a lot of Lego and Barbies and all sorts of things. We didn't throw them out. And so now with our grandkids, we've got all their parents' stuff we just want to get rid of. And now all the kids get all new stuff as well. It's like, good grief, you need a 15-bedroom home just to take the, fill the house with stuff. Oh, I don't do that. It doesn't, that doesn't help. Don't, don't, don't make them think it's about me. We should start a bank called the Me Bank. That'd go well. Wouldn't it? It's all about me. No, it's not. Uh, you know, and don't not encourage them. Don't not encourage them. You know, some people might think like this lady did. Uh, this guy was struggling with his daughter uh, and there's issues, you know, that the frustration, the whatever attitude, the folded arms attitude. You're talking but no one's listening. Um, no discipline. Hebrews 12 seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. No discipline. No one likes to be disciplined. Uh, deep down, you're probably thinking, like this uh, Clarice said, I think husbands and wives should live in separate houses. If there's enough money, the children should live in a third. <laughs> I know, some of you think that. All the best. My oldest brother always thought kids should be born at 18 then just leave home. But it solves all the problems. Attitude. How's it going? In a moment we're going to do communion. Attitude, how's it going? And so Paul pushes through. You know, we need to understand that our attitude is a reflection of our relationship with Jesus. It is a reflection of our relationship with Jesus. You know at night, we may not speak about it, but you know it's true. Um, and he pushes it, not just in your household, but what about to others? To employees or employers. He goes on, slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything and do it not only when their eyes on you and to carry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, there it is again, echoing verse 17, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for the human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord you are serving. It is the Lord. What motivates you? What, is the, you know, what happens in the workplace? Don't only work when the boss is watching. That's terrible. And what's, what's the reward for faithful service? Do you know what the reward is? Greater levels of faithful service. That's the reward that Paul talks about here. Um, and, and so be mindful of that. Be mindful of the attitude you have when you come to work and how you work and how you engage. Because he says it too about bosses as well. In my context, maybe wardens or parish council. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. We're all in this hierarchy. There's always someone else you have to be accountable for. And so honour that. Be gracious. I have to say to myself, be gracious to those on the team, for those in church, those in life group leaders, to parish council, to all those things. Be concerned about the generosity that you pass on to your staff, financially, resources, things like that. Be concerned for justice, fairness, all those things. It affects the household, it affects the work life, it affects everything. Attitudes, attitudes. 
How is your attitude going? I'll pause for a moment and answer that question for yourself. Give you a moment to catch your breath. Because we are called not to be fearful. And I realise as you get older, the more vulnerable you are with who you are, the more fearful you can become. But we're called to be faithful. Uh, when I did this series a while ago, there was a, a lady author and she said this, we choose to protect ourselves by saying, it's not me, it's you. Sounds like the Seinfeld excuse, but I won't go there. But actually, it is you. As much as we want to blame our community for being the one with the problem, more often than not, we're the one with the problem. Many attitudes can keep us from experiencing authentic community and all of them start with the letter I. We are our own obstacles. I am my own obstacle. So I have to work under the gracious hand of God and his spirit in who I am. She went on to say, yet our own vulnerability is motivated by fear that comes with having our identity rooted in wondering, will this community be able to meet my needs or not? And if it doesn't, zip, exit, stage left. We have to be aware of that. Cultivate awareness. Dialogue with God. Remember that this community and biblical community is not about me. And also remember profoundly that fig tree is far from perfect. As I am far from perfect, as the rest of the team is far from perfect, we are full of all sorts of warts and bumps and things that we don't get right. But it's about attitude, it's about change, it's about growth. It's about making sure we glorify God. So I want you to think long on that before we do communion. And finally, let me give you some hints as we do this short series. So how do you cultivate a faithful attitude? How do you cultivate a positive attitude? How do you cultivate an attitude that honours God? Here's the image I have in my head. And uh, I don't know whether you realise what that is. That's a backstage. A backstage. And so backstage to me is where it all happens. And in one sense you could say it's your family. Backstage, there's no one there. If I go out the backstage, there's a few chairs out here, there's emptiness, it's dark, it's quiet out here. But here is where my attitude is being cultivated, my humility, my integrity, my honesty, who I am, what I do, how I think. Because reality is... When you see me, hello, you just see this bit. This is just the bit you see here. 99.9% is happening back there. Dare I quote Bill Hybels, who you are when no one sees you. That's the same for you guys when you come to church. I get to see this. Now the good thing about gathering together is you sharpen my attitude. You help me understand what I'm called to do. You help me understand how I'm called to be faithful. I need a solid, called backstage life. All those things because it's shaping my integrity, my attitude, how I function, how I speak, all those things. How I allow myself to submit to the ongoing work of transformation by the Holy Spirit. And that's the same for all of us. And see, the funny thing is, um, we often think that no one knows my attitude. But Rhonda knows my attitude. Quietly, so she can't hear. 
Those who you live with know your attitude. And the worst thing is you think no one else knows that what your attitude is. We all know. We all get to see it. But again, the wrestle is, well, what am I doing with my attitude? How is it being shaped? And so that's the challenge of this, this short series about how we grow, how we live together, how we function. Because it really matters, and you'll know it matters as I invite the communion helpers to get the communion ready as they go up there and bring it down the front. You'll hear it said when uh, we read from 1 Corinthians 11 when Paul writes about celebrating the Lord's Supper just with the, the word attitude in mind. Just hear how he speaks about it. And so here he's writing the church about how they're to celebrate the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so... The reflection is the bread, breaking the bread. Reflection of Christ's broken body. We go on. Uh, this is my body. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. Again, taking the cup. In the same way, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're doing. We're celebrating what Christ has done, waiting for him to return. So then... Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in another unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examine your life. Examine your attitude to each other. Examine how you're going. And we know that God is faithful. We know there is forgiveness there. And it matters. And again, can I encourage you, having just stood at a cemetery yesterday I'm just reminded how short life is how short life is are you holding off forgiveness to your brothers or sisters or family members the day will come when that will be taken away do not go to your grave in an unrepentant state or with family members still grieving over a lost relationship do not concern yourself with their attitude what's your attitude can you do? Forgiveness, note, text, phone call. That's what the call of one. That's why we take communion. Heavenly Father, help me strengthen this. Now, again, as you know, we've done this for quite a while. We have, we'll have some people here this morning to pray. to help us work through that. And you might have an issue going in your life that you want prayer for. So as you have communion, which we've done, uh, which we'll do, uh, come down and stop and ask you to take communion. Come forward for prayer. Rhonda, Haley, Shane will be in that space. I'll be in that space to pray for you. Do not look around the room wondering who else is coming forward for prayer. You know, don't do that. Eileen and Rhonda coming forward for prayer. Wow, they must have a poor attitude. <laughs> we all need an attitude check. So therefore, we'll be here till 12.30 still praying. But don't sit back there thinking, arms folded. Mm. The last thing I'm going to do is let anyone in this building know that I'm coming forward for prayer because there's things happening in my life. Why didn't I say, we all know there's things happening in your life. Don't, don't think that we don't. We do. And we're here to encourage and serve and help us together. So I'm invite you. I'm going to come and serve the uh, communion helpers. Then we'll serve you, no matter how small, how big. If you'd like prayer, please. It's often cathartic. It often helps you move to the next step. And we'd love to pray for you as we'd love to celebrate the Lord's Supper. 
Let's do that as I serve our communion helpers. We'll invite you to come down as well.